Today is Monday the 12th of June. June as we now know it is Pride Month, a month dedicated to the celebration and commemoration of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender pride. In spirit of Pride Month, Maury Council arranged a storytelling event to promote LGBT inclusion to kids from a very young age. The event was called Drag Queen Story Hour and the storytelling would be conducted by a drag queen. Douglas Ross, leader of the Conservatives, called this wholeheartedly inappropriate, feeding into a wider nationwide conversation about what it means to be a certain gender or a certain sex. At times this has been hostile. Even Channel 4 called their documentary Gender Wars. Well, we don't agree with adding fuel to the fire in that fashion. This isn't a war. This should be a grown-up conversation. One that acknowledges that the safety of women is of paramount importance but also setting the end goal of that conversation to make the lives of a marginalised group in society just a wee bit easier. This is the Untribal Podcast. Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today we're continuing our Educate Before Hate campaign aiming at sending a simple message. We want to encourage people to educate themselves before spreading hateful messages to people. Today we're talking about Pride Month and we'll first of all be hearing from Amber Roberts of the SNP. And we now know from Ipsos, who did a poll recently of 22,000 people across 39 different countries, that the UK specifically um, has a problem with this conversation. The majority of people feel that the trans community are discriminated against. Only 47% of the public believe teenagers uh, teenagers should have access to uh, the gender-affirming uh, spaces that they identify with. Uh, Britain is near the bottom of trans people using toilets that are aligned with their gender, only at 40% of people. Um, we, we fall down the rainbow map, which analyzing 49 European nations on policy and LGBTQ rights, we're near the bottom. How, how does this feel, Amber? Like, how How is this affecting you personally <laughs> um there's a lot to unpick there so well, let's just go with um being as brutally honest as i can with this yeah trans people are scared yeah trans women in particular are scared now i i know that when you release this um let's say i might get some backlash of this but trans women get more transphobia than trans men that is just a fact yeah um how it makes me feel is scared and upset. You know, I have been in politics for a little while now, yeah? And I am afraid to go outside. Um, when I'm meeting up with my friends and in my social life, and they're like, where, where would you like to meet up? And I'm like, somewhere quiet and kind of off the grid, um, please. Because if I'm in a very busy public place, the transphobia that I personally receive you might not notice it. Normal people might not notice it, but it starts off with the laughter, the giggling, the smirking, the constantly looking over, some pointing. Hell, just for walking um, to my local shops, I've had stones thrown at me. Where was that about? In your house. <laughs> In your house? Fuck yeah. I have had stones thrown at me. I've had my apartment broken into twice. I have had... Um, a group of teenagers for six months 
harass me at my home by throwing stones every single day. I do not think that any council property flats have had more window replacements than I have in a six-month period. Yeah, I've had death threats. I've had people threaten to burn me out of my home. And is this on like social media, or did they did they come? No, this is, this is in person. This when I good. first moved um, to where I live now, yeah, the amount of transphobia that I got and the amount of hate I got was incredible. Standing at the back door um, smoking, I'm I was this was my first week in my flat, yeah. Standing at the back door smoking, minding my own business, and a dress and makeup, and some a passerby turned around and shouted directly at me, you're a dirty bastard. They then they then disappeared. They came back and I went, excuse me, but why did you call me a dirty bastard? What, what do you think I've done? And he started shouting abuse, everything under the sun. I said, do not talk to me, do not talk to me. Then he threw a rock the size of my fist straight at, my, straight at me. I moved and it smashed my back door window. That's what it's like for trans people. Yeah, I'm thankful that in this area the hate has gone down over the years, but that's because I've stood up to it. That's because I've reported it to the police. That is because I have basically put paid to the police and going, you're not doing enough. I am in danger. Well, why don't we move you then? No, why should I have to move out of my home that I've literally just moved into? Why should I be run out of my home? No, no, no. It's you guys' responsibility to protect me in my own home. And if you won't, I will protect myself. Yeah? And as soon as I said to the police that I was going to start protecting myself, now I'm a, I'm a trained martial artist, yeah? I know what I'm doing when it comes to self-defense, yeah? When I said to the police that I will start defending myself, I will take the law into my own hands, that's when they started intervening properly. That's when they started doing their jobs when I threatened to defend myself against the people that were threatening me with physical and verbal violence. Yeah, this is what it's like up and down the country in Scotland. Now, I've spoken to many trans people um, in Scotland, not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but enough. And every single one of them are saying the exact same thing to me. We're scared. We are scared. My own wife is scared to be seen in public with me because of all the hate that I've had on social media. My wife is scared. Yeah. I keep my family very private because I don't want them dragged into all this. Yeah. We, we've heard tales of trans people's families being targeted with abuse just for being related to a trans person. I don't want that to happen to my family. And we need to look no further than what happened in February when Brianna Jai was murdered for being trans. So how does that make me feel? I'm scared. I'm scared for my life. That's why I entered politics, because all I'm hearing is cis people, cis politicians talking about trans rights without actually giving the platform to trans people. For example, if... One politician, a cis politician, because there's no trans politicians in Hollywood, but if one of them during their speeches at rallies or stuff like that turned around and went, I support you, 
But I don't want to say anything more than that other than I give you my undying support. Um, say you are human beings, but I want to hear from trans people. If just one politician did that, yeah, and gave the platform that they're being given on TV shows, on radios, on podcasts, hell, even at different rallies and events that they attend, if more trans people were given a bigger platform to actually have their voice spoken and heard, believe me, things would be a lot different. But right now, it's heavily focused on the fact that cis people are speaking for the trans community and not to them. And that is a massive problem. That, that was really um, powerful. I was almost in, in tears there. That was that was quite grim to, to listen to. Amber, I'm, I'm really sorry. Um. I'm struggling to see where we where we come to a compromise here because it seems, there is it seems, no compromise. It seems there to be so no much heat on, on each side of the seems to be so much heat on either side of the conversation that even a, a piece of legislation like the self ID bill was rejected, but it's still been struggled on with such ferocity and, and anger. And I just I just wonder how we how how do we stop all this? Okay. I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah before I answer your question. Where's all that hate and anger coming from the most? From which side? Is it trans people or is it people that are against us? Who are the most hate-filled here? Can you answer that question? I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of speaking <laughs> on, on behalf of people uh, just now, you know, but, but I'm, you know. No, I, I'm asking you a question. Is it trans people that are mostly hate-filled or is it anti-trans people that are mostly built? From from what I from what I can see, it's um, you know, it's 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 been mainly the the so-called gender critical movement that I've been filled with. Exactly. With yeah, trans people have been painted out that we are this violent, stereotypical people that are going to groom children, that we're going to um somehow turn your kids trans, um or Hell, we've even seen some people say that we're going to turn them gay. You know, you don't turn people trans or gay. That is just something that you're born with. And as you grow up and come to realize who you are, then, you know, you 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 figure that out for yourself. Who are you? Yeah. But th this is how people are born. Yeah. And all the hate that comes in this whole thing. Yeah comes from the gender critical and trans people and trans allies and LGBT plus organizations are all trying their damnedest to keep their cools. Yeah. Now, I have said this before and I will say this again here today. I am scared that this is going to turn into a massive civil war where trans people are just going to snap and gender criticals are going to go too far and they're going to be massive street fights and everything like that under the sun. Yeah? And it doesn't help with mainstream media, big mainstream media, fueling it. They are fueling the fires by giving platforms to notoriously transphobic people that all of a lot of the people that are transphobic, they're all the gender critical things, they go LGB without the T, yeah? They want to cut trans people out of th this community, 
yeah? But let me just say this, yeah? You cannot cut out people in a society. That is akin to genocide. We heard Kelly, K Kelly J. Keene and some Posey Parker say not that long ago that she wants to eradicate trans people. So they're calling for the annihilation of, of trans people. That, that is genocide. I have not heard a single trans right activist or trans person say that they want to really annihilate um, let's say, the gender criticals. Yes, we've seen the signs uh, at a rally in, um, I think it was Glasgow, that said decapitate the turfs. That is not akin to what we as trans people want. We don't want to hurt anybody. We just want to live our lives without fear of being killed. You know? And the worst part of this is you've got people like Douglas Ross standing up time and time again and saying things against minorities. He went after gypsy travelers not that long ago. Recently, he's been abhorrently against the GRR bill that was passed by a large majority in the Scottish Parliament for members of all the parties. I will not forget the few Tory MSPs in the Scottish Parliament that stood by the GRR bill. Yeah, I will never forget them. Yes, I may disagree with a lot of their politics, but when at the hour that we needed them, they stood up for us, whereas the rest of the party crumbled. And then recently, Douglas Ross has went after gypsy travelers, he's went after LGBT plus people, um, namely trans people. Now he's going after bloody drag queens in his own constituency, all because drag queens want to read a story to children, make it fun for them and more interactive, just like you would see on a larger scale at goddamn pantomime. And he's doing this in his own constituency that he represents both as an MSP and an MP. That message alone is horrible. Yeah? Now, I've talked about the Tories. Yeah? I'm not going to lie. There is a lot of transphobia within the SNP. Yeah? We've seen it time and time again. You've got Joanna Cherry. You've got Ash Reagan. You've got Kate Forbes. Yeah? And nothing gets done. Nothing. I have personally written to the National Secretary on the NEC for the SNP, Lorna Finn, several times, putting in letters of complaints, specifically about Kate Forbes and her comments during the leadership campaign. I have been met with complete and utter silence. I have not even had anybody respond to those emails. So I said to you earlier, the SNP needs people that they need trans people in the party that's going to stand up for our part of the community because we see it, yes, okay. And when it comes to legislation like the GRR bill, yes, that's being fought vigorously and that's going uh, heading to the courts, yeah. But when it comes to fighting transphobia, all the political parties are very weak on it. The Greens are the only ones that call them out half the time, yeah. But when it comes to governing, uh, when it comes to political parties at the highest level, the people that run the parties, 
Yeah, I'm not mean party leaders, I'm meaning like the NECs. Yeah. Nobody does anything. So that's why I want to really be that support, be that person that the trans community within the SNP can really look up to, you know, and go to for support and go, look, I'm struggling. Can you please help me? This person has said this. What do I do? You know, that's, I've heard as well that there are a lot of trans people that want to, that are SNP members that want to go in person to their first branch meeting, but are too afraid to. And I've said, contact those people or put me in contact with them. I will go with them no matter where they are in Scotland to their first branch meeting. Yeah. But as for, you know, how it makes me feel to hear all these different statistics and it is heartbreaking and it's scary. We are literally witnessing history repeating itself and it cannot do that. And what do you, and you mentioned Joanna Cherry and, and I think Joanna Cherry is in an Edinburgh branch of the SNP. You know, that she's very set, set in her argument in the sense that she doesn't feel like she's transphobic. She, <laughs> she thinks that she's just got a different physiological, sort of metaphysical view and definition of the human body. Oh, biology. Wonderful. Let's talk about biology for a minute, okay? Because this, this is another misconception. And this is the stuff I love, yeah? Um, so many people like Joanna Cherry will say, but biologically, you're not a woman. Actually, you are, yeah? Now, we have had many, many healthcare professionals from around the globe, yeah, say that when somebody is on HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, what actually happens? Well, I'm going to give you a breakdown of what happens um, from a trans woman going from male to female, yeah? For the first better part of six months, you're on a testosterone blocker that stops, um, sorry, that lowers um, it's, uh, your testosterone from being made in the body, yeah, naturally, yeah? And then you're put onto estrogen, estrogen tablets. That encourages um, thinning of um, it's facial hair, that encourages breast growth. But on the chemical and biological level, it also changes because if you think about it, how can breasts grow when there isn't any breasts to begin with, yeah, if it's not done at the biological level? Well, that's what estrogen does. It changes our biological physiology so that we can grow breasts, so that our hairs on our face, arms and legs are thinned, yeah? And that's all done through the wonders of biology. So for people like Joanna Cherry saying, oh, but biologically you're not a woman. That is 100% horseshit. Yeah, um, biology is more complex than anybody can ever realize, yeah? Mm. And if people were actually to read the proper articles about um, trans women's physiology at the biological level, you would not really be able to tell a difference. Another great, um, let's say, an another great argument that I love to actually dispel because it's a massive myth from the gender criticals, yeah? But you don't have a female reproductive system, therefore you cannot be female. What about all those cis women that have had their reproductive organs removed for one reason or another, yeah? Are they no longer female because they don't have a female reproductive system? No, again, that is bull, yeah? They're still women. So, 
when it comes down to it, yeah, the arguments that we are hearing from the gender criticals that are against trans people, I'm going to list just a few of them, yeah? Trans women are just paedophiles, yeah? And they point to um, the, the cases, the case that's been um, widely in, in the press um, at the beginning of this year, yeah? Uh, the Isla Bryson case. Yeah, Isla Bryson. Now, she, I'm going to be the first, one of the first people to say it. Yes, Isla Bryson has committed heinous crimes. You know, heinous crimes. These are evil acts that she has done. But she now identifies as female. Yes, she may be um, trying to con the system, but we do not know what's in her head. Yeah? At the moment, we can only take her at face value when it comes to transitioning. Yeah? I don't think that... Now, this is quite controversial for me as a trans woman, but I don't think that people who have being convicted of sexual offences should be allowed to transition. But I understand that um, to keep in line with human rights, that they still should. I think that is abhorrent and I can not I can never get my head around it. I'm a victim, a victim of sexual assault. I've been sexually assaulted as a child several times. So sorry. Yeah. And so I'm speaking here as a survivor. Yeah. And that, but I also understand, and I really do understand the human rights aspect of this, yeah? And it would go against human rights to tell somebody you cannot transition. But what you can do is make it a hell of a lot harder for them to be legally recognized. So if we look at the GRR bill, there was a Jill, there was an amendment by Gillian Martin that basically gave, uh, I think it was the Chief Constable of Police Scotland, the powers to stop um, the, an application for a gender recognition certificate, yeah? Um, and that would be heavily scrutinised and it would be on a basis of risk, yeah? Like it's done in the prison service, yeah? Where prisoners assessed on the risk that they pose rather than, oh, you, you identify as female, you win the female wing, but you're a sex offender and rapist, so that's probably a bad idea. Okay, you know, you, you get where I'm going with that, yeah? So, but if that happens for... Um, gender recognition certificate as well on a basis of risk. Now, if we look at um, one of the um, Tory amendments that did something very similar, but it was a blanket ban on people who have committed sexual crimes, yeah? And that goes against human rights. I'm sorry to the people that are hearing this and are probably in tears because they either don't want to hear it or don't quite understand it. I am a survivor and I can tell you I don't like it either, but as legislation stands, especially in the Court of Human Rights, the European Court of Human Rights, that's how it is. And these are laws that we have to adhere by on a global level. If we're going to have a partnership with the EU, we need to you know, adhere to um, the laws that they have. It'd be like if um, one of us wanted to move to a different country. Well, that's a different set of laws, and we've got to adhere to them to an extent. Now, countries around the world that make it illegal to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or anything under the LGBT plus umbrella, those are abhorrent laws, and they should be changed. But when it comes to fundamental human rights, the right to transition, yeah, the right of bodily autonomy, 
that is something entirely different. Yeah. And those are the ones that we have to respect, whether we like it or not. My personal feeling is no sex sex offender, no matter what sexual offense it is, yeah. If you're on the sex offenders register, you do not get to transfer. That's my own personal belief. Yeah. But I understand the law. I don't have to like the law, but that's it as it is in a nutshell. And what would you say to to politicians that would would say, right, we're going to give the trans community some dignity by allowing them to change their gender, but we're going to disassociate that with the word sex, and then when it comes to prisons, sport, and uh, single-sex spaces, that's an entirely different matter. What would you say to them? <laughs> Resign. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it in a nutshell. You know, I, I would tell them they have no business being in politics. Yeah, um, but let me go into a little bit deeper of this, yeah, because this is actually, um, many people will hear this question and go, strange question, but it's actually quite important. So could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, sure. So my question was, what would you say to a politician that would is is, is tasked with solving this conundrum yeah. and and destabilizing uh, stabilizing the debate, and the solution that they come up with is. We are allowing, we will allow trans uh, their dignity and changing their gender in whatever setting that may be, be it in their work, you know, be it in their death certificate, on their birth certificate, to live a life and die in dignity. But what would I say to them? To to protect a sex characteristic for single sex spaces, prisons, and sports, we're going to separate that definition entirely and make that about a certain group of bodily organs, either, either male or female. Okay, so the first point I would really make to them, apart from telling them to resign, because that's that's the first instinct, yeah? But going deeper into this, yeah? Let's go back to the 2000s, when I first found out that it was possible to transition, yeah? It was called a sex change, and it had been done for decades before then, Yeah? Now, a sex change. It's all in the name. You're changing your sex from male to female. Yeah. What is sex defined as? Yeah. Some people, uh, very dense people, go, oh, by your genitals. Okay. So if somebody has gender recognition, uh, sorry, gender reassignment surgery, um, does that then change it? No, it doesn't. Then they uh, split off into other areas, such as chromosomes. Well, I'm sorry, but intersex people are a thing yeah and there are more intersex people than you actually think in the world yeah i, I don't know the exact statistics but there it's are, around one percent hmm? it's around one it's around one percent okay so one percent um so that would that, still be sixty-five thousand people in, in Britain. yeah that, that is one in 100 people yeah if it's one percent then it's one in 100 people that is a when you put that on a global scale, that yeah, is a, a big, big number. Okay, so first of all, don't talk to me about chromosomes um, and that you can't change your sex because of chromosomes because there are intersex people. Now, for people that aren't intersex, yes, yes, you can because first of all, chromosomes themselves, yeah, what do they do exactly? Yeah, well, first of all, certain chromosomes show your facial features, what genitals you have, and um, colour of your hair, 
you know, to an extent, skin and several other things. But who, if, God forbid, but if governments were to go, okay, we need to check your chromosomes to see what sex you are, yeah, that would be fucking terrible indeed. I mean, because you can't that do that. Just, no, you can't. You, you can't, can't police that. You literally can't. Eight billion that. people on the planet. How the hell are you going to police that exactly? Yeah. So it is absurd to even talk about chromosomes because most of the people, in fact, I'm willing to bet all of the people that talk about chromosomes um, who are gender critical have never had their own chromosomes changed. So let's go with, let's go with Posey Parker. If she was to get her chromosomes looked at, and it was found that she had male chromosomes. Just think about that, yeah? She couldn't say that she was a woman under her own um, say, thoughts and speeches that she's given on her own views. She cannot say that she is a woman if she had um, male chromosomes, yeah? It is, it is absolutely absurd. Now, humanity itself has a way of adding labels to people. That's how we've got male and female in the first place, to, to distinguish, um, you know, um, each other. So, and sex does have a lot to do with medical care. Now, my, I'm going to go on my basis here, yeah? Over the years, I've had to phone NHS 24 a lot. And when they pull up my file, the first thing they see there is that I'm female. It doesn't say that I'm trans. It says I'm female. That's on my medical records, yeah? And they ask me a lot of different questions. And one of those questions, they don't ask um, men this. They only ask women this. Is there a possibility that you could be pregnant? Now, even though I'm a trans woman, and uh, currently it's not med, well, it's possible, but it just needs to be aired out. Um, but... I, I don't have a womb, yeah? So I can't bear children. So I laugh at that question every time because I'm just like, <laughs> I'm trans, what do you think? Yeah, but, you know, uh, and for some people that I, I see um, say regularly at the NHS, my doctor, for example, every so often when we're doing questionnaires and stuff, like that, I was like, look, I know the answer to this, but I still have to ask it, could you be pregnant? You know, it's those questions and they still have to ask them because... I am legally recognized on my medical um, records as female, yeah? So they give me female healthcare. But if you look deeper into there, they'll see, okay, trans, so we also need to watch out things for um, that are um, male-bodied people. So if we go with um, certain things that men have that women don't, uh, the prostate being a prime example, so what, later in life, I'll probably have to get prostate checks done, yeah? Even though I'm a woman, yeah, they adapt to each person's need in the NHS and healthcare, yeah? So we've kind of, I think I've done well in dispelling that side of things that, oh, but um, biology, um, biological sex is so important, especially for medical care. Well, medical care is catered to the individual, not the other way around. So the final point I'm going to make on this, and what would I say to politicians if I wasn't telling them to resign and they weren't listening to anything else that I was saying to them? I would truthfully say to them, 
you are an abhorrent person and you should not be in politics. Now, you won't resign. We both know this, yeah? But you have no business trying to represent people when you cannot represent all people, regardless of age, disability, gender, you know, sexual orientation. If you, um, skin colour being another big one, yeah? If you cannot accept people for what they are and that is human, then you have no business being a, a, a politician. You've, as a politician, you've got to represent every single human being in your constituency. And as some final remarks, uh, Amber, what would you like to say to our listeners? I'm going to really appeal to the SNP members. If you're an SNP member and you're trans, seek me out. Come find me. I'm looking for you. I want to make sure that you are properly supported within the party. And for too long, that's not happened. My Twitter handle handle is Amber Roberts SNP. Find me. I will speak to you. To people that are on the on the fence about trans rights, I'm going to say something that I tried to say earlier on, but I'm going to say it again properly. Yeah, this whole thing of oh the trans debate. It's not a fucking debate. It is not a debate. One hundred percent, human lives should not be debated. Yeah, it should be. Oh, okay. These are marginalized people. Let's improve their lives. Yeah, don't call it a debate. We are not up for debate. Nobody's rights are ever up for debate. Rights are just improved. Yeah, to people that are maybe on the fence, going, I really don't know. Yeah, I've got lots of questions and. I'm hearing bias from one way or another. Those people seek me out. Yeah, contact me. I will sit with you as I've done with many different people and I will take you through all the facts, all the questions that you might ask and I will go and research while um, reading the messages or even on a phone call or whatnot. I will physically research and send you the links to prove what I'm saying. Um, final remark I'm going to say, is many people are saying from the gender critical sides that um, transgenderism is a mental health condition. Well, the World Health Organization, WHO, have said that being trans and gender dysphoria is not a mental health condition. So people really need to stop calling it a mental disorder when the World Health Organization is saying that it's not. Thank you, Amber. That was Amber Roberts of the SNP. I also went on call with political commentator Robbie Travers, who's an advocate of the gender-critical movement. Let's see what he had to say. So what do you think about this? Uh, the, certainly the reaction to this uh, event, Robbie. What, what's your thoughts? Well, I think that it's absolutely completely overblown. I think people are struggling to understand that there is a real concern over what is appropriate for children to view and what is appropriate for children to be able to process at such an age. I don't think that's an unreasonable discussion and I think that there have been increasingly concerns over the appropriateness of drag queens. You have to examine what drag is. Drag is largely and has been reserved as, I mean firstly it stands for dress resembling a girl. And it has been a staple of the gay nightlife and gay adult entertainment industry. Now, that's not in any way saying that it is inherently 
um, the most extreme of adult entertainment, but it, that is where it has belonged. Now, the problem here is that Dragon inherently in itself does have a sexual element, and I do mean that, because when you're discussing what drag is, drag is the mimicking of secondary sexual characteristics as a caricature. Now, that often entails women. You'll see drag stars wearing breastplates to mimic breasts, corsets, lipstick and makeup that's often extremely exaggerated. Now, another question that I don't think has been asked, because I don't think people are honest enough to ask this question, is why is it acceptable to caricature women as a demographic when any other form of caricature of a group by another group would not be seen as acceptable? Now, you'll know fairly well that there's a discussion about power privilege. Now, this is a, I don't think Ross has got the intelligence to go here, but let's go here because we do have the intelligence to go here. Uh, there's groups with power and privilege in society, according to a vast majority of established left-wing thinking, particularly we're going for intersectionality in Kimberly Crenshaw. It would not be acceptable for any other group to parody another group, especially when they're perceived to have power. Why is it therefore acceptable for male individuals to parody female individuals? Or, or what, what Jermaine Greer goes, you're not us, do not be a grotesque caricature. Why is that suddenly acceptable? And I but don't do, think society... Go do ahead. you not think that talking these power imbalances is, is looking a wee bit too much into it? Because it, it's interesting that you said, you know, when we think of drag, we think of something sexual or breaking down the barriers of, of gender. And it's certainly rooted from that in history. But do you not think we've moved on from that? Because when I think of drag, I think of wigs and fun. And it's, it's, something, it's a lot more simplistic than something that's like sexual and fetishist. Uh, fetishistic is that is that the word? Um, well, it would be fetish. It would be fetishistic. But, and, uh, and, and, of, of, course, of course, the the show in question was for very young children. But obviously, the 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 content would be tailored for young children. It was literally just a a storytelling uh, you know event, was it not? Well, I think I don't think it was, and, I, and the reason I don't firstly consider why why is it all drag queens who are representing the LGBTQ plus community? I use that in inverted commas. Why is it always the go-to as drag queens? Why do you never have a successful gay businessman or a successful gay role model or even gay parents? Why is it always drag queens? And the answer is because it's not actually about the children at all. And I, I really do mean that. It's not about reading to children at all. It's about validating the identity of the individual involved and validating individuals who want to be seen as virtuous, who want to be seen as good people, particularly in regards to espousing that they are on the right side of history. Look, our school is so tolerant, we've invited a drag queen to read to children. It's a signal. It's not about the reading to children. The reading to children is actually inconsequential here, particularly when you ask, well, why wouldn't you allow any other member of the community to read to children? Because it's No, no, no. That... And what, what, what does that mean? It's, it's, it's the a... holy month of Pride. What, what, what relevance does that have? I mean, firstly, this doesn't just go on in Pride Month. Um, pride, um, these um, pride drag queen story hours go on throughout the year. So the fact that it's during Pride Month is largely immaterial. But again, why won't, why won't you have another member of the LGBT community reach to these children? Why does it have to be a, a, a drag queen? 
I think a bit like a pantomime dame reading to children, it adds to the entertainment and the theatrics, and it's putting young children in the comfort of colourful surroundings, if that makes sense. It's getting them used to these kind of surroundings, so when they do become an older age, we're, we're always talking about teaching kids at a young age, that they don't have these preconceived notions of what it means to be but a man. But teaching them what? But teaching them what? But okay, that's very interesting, because drag isn't about being a man or a woman. That's that's fascinating. Drag is about actually enforcing gender roles for parody, dress resembling a girl. It's not about breaking free from gender, it's about mimicry of gender. So I think when you're saying, oh, this is about breaking free from gender, I would question that because actually it's entirely about adopting the persona of the opposite sex and the gender role associated with that and doing that. But the other thing is, I think it's very interesting you said, uh, well, we have to teach them young. Uh, we're talking about introducing to them young. That's the exact same argument of religious organizations in America. We have to we have to talk to them young. We have to convince them of the truth young, which I find very interesting. As uh, Christopher Hitchens used to say about religious organizations, they have to get them young because they have no other chance. Uh, and I think that's actually part of the position. I actually think that when it comes to this, I'm very skeptical over the argument, oh, it's Pride Month. Well, firstly, I don't, I don't have any time for holy months or sacred months, frankly. Uh, I, I think this, I think this idea that there's a holy month in which, oh, it must be respected. Um, well, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not a theist, as as you will well know. I don't believe in any god, so I, I won't be believing in any god of the rainbow. And I don't think that that has any relevance or bearing to the conversation. I just think it's a, and I actually think it comes across as quite haughty not during the month of Pride, could it equally come across as, oh, you're not going to watch the life of Brian during the month of Easter. It, it comes across with a similar tone. But do you not think that we need to set aside some time in schools to promote inclusion and diversity, and why not choose the month of Pride to do so? Would it, would it not make these uh, you know, these kids better people growing up if they're more attuned to, to loving and, and, and including people naturally. Do you, do you know what I mean? We're not talking about religion. We're talking about human rights here and treating people well. Well, well, firstly, if we're talking about human rights, religious belief is actually one of the protected characteristics under the Equality Act. So if we're talking about okay. inclusion... Take, take, take it, we that, actually take are. that back. <laughs> but okay, it's I actually very that. relevant. But it's very relevant, though, because what you're essentially saying is, yeah, we want to be inclusive. What do you mean by inclusive? I, I mean, as in all-encompassing of everyone, regardless of how, how they feel and how they identify. Uh, how, about how, how about how they think? I don't understand where you're going with it. <laughs> well, because it's, I think what you're saying is how people identify or how people feel. I mean, p personally, I'm not one for feelings. I'm one for thinking. I want to understand how people think. I want a diversity of opinions. What I'm seeing very much is this is the holy month of pride. You will worship the holy month of pride, but you will not deviate from the opinions of the individuals during this month. For example, Labour MSP Pauline McNeil today has been reprimanded for hosting an event of legal academics at the Scottish Parliament. She's been told by the Labour complaints, you cannot do this during Pride Month. So she can't have a discussion about the rights of women and how that interacts with the rights of individuals under the category of gender reassignment during a Pride Month. And this is the problem with inclusivity. Inclusivity is very nice as a concept, but rights clash. In particular, rights of certain groups clash. How do you decide which rights take primacy? And this is a real problem because you can have this kind of 
I, what I would call it is um, wishy-washy kumbaya around the fire attitude. And it is very nice until you actually encounter clashing rights in the real world. How do you deal with those clashing rights? Genuinely, how would you deal with them? That's the question for you. For example, um, you've got a difference of opinion regarding not just, um, for example, gender reassignment is now clashing with sex, religion, and sexuality as protected characteristics. How do you teach this? How do you ensure that you're inclusive and also protected belief? But how do you protect all of these groups in an inclusive society? How do you do it? Well, we've, we've, got, on fine. we've, we've got on fine until this point where we've tried to make it slightly easier for trans people like just make their lives a little bit easier how, how can we have got on fine for the last 10 years and all of a sudden we're, we're not getting on fine but where are we getting along fine that's yeah. a, that's a yeah, that's a really interesting question because i think that 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 i mean that that, 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 com, that comes from a sense of arrogance because i'm a, a cisgender male and i'm not affected by these things and I, I'm, I'm just merely trying to educate people about the subject so that we're we're just staying away you from see that's here. that's really interesting because firstly you're you're, you're saying that um, well, you're straying away from hate. Fair enough. I don't think anyone should be discriminated against. Even even if I have disagree, I, I mean, put it this way, I disagree with the concept of cisgender. And the reason why I disagree with it, and I will never use the term, is that cisgender implies that I have a gender identity. That is to imply that I have some feelings of thought about what my gender is. I don't. I am male. That is an inescapable reality of my biology it's an inescapable reality of how life works and the problem here is that when we use these terms i think it becomes very middle class and i think it becomes very clerical language a language that's deeply inaccessible to people firstly but also secondly it's a language that's really particularly interesting because it implies that there is a form of belief in a gender identity I don't think that's credible. I think also regarding making life easier for certain groups, you can't acknowledge that that doesn't come at a cost for others. And that is the big part of the problem here. So for example, we are sitting here talking about, we want to make life easier for this group. Yes, but have you thought about how self-identification self would seriously affect the rights of women? Have you thought about how allowing individuals who are female to identify as gay men, for example, changes the category of sexuality under the Equality Act and, challenge, and challenges the definition of gay men? There are now two types of gay men in law. These, these are questions that no one really has answers to because people are shouting abuse. In particular, I think there is one side that doesn't really want to answer the questions because Stonewall for years had the attitude of no debate. And no debate has actually, as you will be well aware, I keep telling the no debate strategy worked for a short time, but it left their activists stupid and unable to deal with any arguments because they haven't been tested. And this is a severe problem. And I think that you have to have a serious question about what does inclusive mean? What does diversity mean? What does, on a whole, pride mean? Because these are all terms that are being thrown around and there is no clear or coherent definition. And it becomes meaningless and it becomes actually quite exclusionary to a lot of people who are going, well, what does this mean? I have no idea what this means. This isn't coherent. And I think that's a serious problem that you're going to have to address to have any form of coherency. You mentioned it becoming middle class. I've just spoken to a woman that's had a rock the size of her fist thrown at her. 
she stays in a council estate in your house all because she's trans. In what way in what way is that middle class? Well, I think firstly, the middle class is the vast majority of individuals promoting it's a middle class. But to go to go back to it, um, physical assault is in no way ever acceptable in any way. We both know that. We're not going to justify that in any way. But again, because someone is discriminated against because of their appearance or because of their, let's say, gender identity, I would actually suggest it would be better protected as a protected belief than a separate characteristic, but whatever. Because someone is discriminated against that doesn't undermine the fact that there are serious critical clashes in rights. In particular, clashes with the rights of women and safeguarding, which is extremely, obviously, as you'll be well aware, is extremely important. Just because individuals are facing a threat of violence, which should be dealt with, does not mean that the concerns of women suddenly become invalid. Again, I'm guessing that the individual who threw that rock was probably male. That's yes. probably the likelihood. Yeah, funny that. Uh, funny how I can tell that the likelihood of an individual who's committing a violent act is probably male. That's very interesting. But more importantly, what also is noticed is, why is it that, for example, what we hear there is a very valid story of where someone was probably terrified and assaulted or attempt, there was an attempt at assault. Why is it that that fear is legitimate, but yet the fear of women, bear in mind that three, two to three women in the UK every week are murdered by their partner. Bear in mind that we have that a horrible epidemic of violence against women. Why is it that their concerns about violence and safety are not given the same way? And I think that's something that you would have to resolve. So I think, yes, we can discuss cases of violence one by one. They are anecdotal, and you, you know my stance on anecdotal evidence. I prefer a wide range of actual, genuine, tested evidence uh, on a whole, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really actually change the situation regarding the fears, the concerns, which are actually well evidenced. I don't know if you know this, interestingly, but individuals who change their gender identity or claim to have a new gender identity retain the offending profile of the sex that they have. So here's the question for you. Even if you want to respect their gender identity, how do you respect their gender identity whilst also safeguarding using the risk-based safeguarding policies that the UK and other countries do, which are inherently based on their sex and their offender profile? It's a big question. Is there an answer to it that's going to not upset a group? No. Well, I mean, it's difficult because the safeguarding relies on respect. You know, the same-sex changing rooms, is, is, it's relied on respect. You can't police these things. You, you ask what pride is, you know, I, I I spoke to Amber earlier and she said there's a, probably more, but a thousand cases just like hers. Every trans person that she spoke to has experienced that kind of insult. Is pride not? And, and they've got a different physiological, metaphysical outlook of the human body. Is pride not about accepting people regardless of their outlook on life and their way of life? Because what what makes yours you know, more valid than theirs? Is that not what pride's about? Just accepting for everyone because if we don't, then these violent acts happen. Okay, again, what do you what do you mean by acceptance? There's there's a big a big word that you're throwing out there. What do you mean by acceptance? Because you can accept that an individual deserves respect, not to be discriminated against, not to be violently harmed, and deserves every right and freedom of liberty as any citizen in this country deserves equally. 
that does not mean you have to agree with their claims or you have to agree with their perspective or their perspective should be protected in law to a point that criticism of that position becomes questionable and that individuals who do not adhere to that are then in a serious situation. As in, for example, um, we had women, a woman called Kate Scotto, and uh, when the police came to her house, they confiscated feminist literature from her bookshelf. It was actually, it was a Janice Raymond and a Sheila Jeffries, if I remember correctly, and I also think a Greer book. But the point here is that, yes, absolutely, individuals should be free to, and have the liberty to say whatever they want and to believe whatever they want. But should I have to agree with their claims about their identity, I don't think that's a credible claim. I don't think you can ever force individuals to do that. And just going back to it, you asked, what what makes my claims more credible? Well, a basis of scientific evidence. Because as as you well know, uh, I believe in the epistemological method. I believe fundamentally that claims have to be based in fact. When an individual talks about how they feel, that's fine, but here's a question for you. When someone says they feel like a woman, what does that mean? Because, I mean, I know repeated, I've read what you've written, and a lot of it's very interesting. Particularly, you, you talk about um, we want to you know, emancipate people from gender roles, but if you want to emancipate people from gender roles, then how can someone realistically claim to feel like a woman without there being a behavioural position of what a woman should be, how a woman should act, and how a woman should look? unless the category is defunct. I mean, I, I, I don't think it should be up to society to decide that, is, I, I think is my point. And I think my, my case, you, you talk about fact as if it applies to 100% of humans, but it, it doesn't. The, the, the groupings that you talk about of men and women, i.e. a penis and a scrotum and women, a vagina and wombs, that doesn't account for 100% of the people on this planet. You do have Who's, who, who does it... You have intersex people. No, okay, so who are, and and also, what are and intersex also, people? Also, also what are, but in a, what are intersex people? And, and and actually, it's interesting because intersex isn't the preferred term. It's actually a developmental sex disorder or sex difference, which is called a DSD. So if you're looking at individuals with DSDs, so these are people who would who would be called intersex. Actually, it's quite interesting. I, I have followed quite a few of them on Twitter and listened to them. Um, they are facing serious health complications because often if it's 46XXY or other conditions in which they have serious differentiations, they are not a new sex. They are not hermaphrodites either. They are individuals who suffer serious chromosomal differences, serious chromosomal problems, and actually often they come with serious health complications, particularly um, Swire syndrome is one that does, um, and you have multiple other. But these people are not a new product, and, they're, and they are often very, very keen to be men or women or, and to be seen equally as a man or a woman, even though they have these genetic differences. So I think we have to be careful here because when we're saying 100% sex isn't defined by penis or vagina, I actually agree with you on that in one sense. And sex is actually determined and defined by chromosomes, uh, by chromosomes and by chromosomal sex, which means that actually when you look at this, individuals can be XX or XY. But again, again, and this is very interesting, you're trying to create a situation, I feel, in which the exceptions define the rule, in which there are very, very few limited number of exceptions in individuals. 
but somehow they therefore define or create a new set. But the question would be, what is the third gamete? What is the third chromosome? Well, I, I mean, what I is mean, the third sex? Th that 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 would surely be for you to decide because you're trying to claim that humans can be a hundred percent defined by the two categories that you're citing as biological facts. And you you mentioned chromosomes. Yeah. That that doesn't account for the SRY gene, which in which the Y uh, contributes to the hormonal development because before it becomes the full chromosome, they can't be differentiated between the two sexes. It doesn't uh, account for DMRT one or FOXL two, that. Uh, contribute to the development of hormones before the full chromosomes are um, aligned. And these can't be defined by two different categories either. And what you have here is peculiar cases. And with peculiar cases, you have exceptions to biological facts as you're stating them. And this small minority of people, and, and you call them a, a small fraction, but 1% of 8 billion people on the planet is still a lot of people. You have to accommodate for those people as well. Well, but I think it's very interesting because what you're essentially saying is that these two categories don't include these people when actually they do. I mean, for example, you're, if you're looking at the SRY gene in particular, which is, I think, incredibly important to look at as a situation, that's a condition of male atypical sex development. That's not a condition of something separate. That is males who have a differential sex development, something that is atypical. That doesn't create something new they still fit into the category of male it's just slightly different to the typical male differentiation so, which so is you can, the problem so you, can, you can be born in the wrong body is what you're concluding no no that's that's a massive leap and actually you can't be born in the wrong body because you are your body you are neurologically your body every but, neuroscientist but, will tell you but, you are your body so and, and you can't be born in the wrong body but you're defining you can bodies have, you in a can very have. specific way. Yeah, absolutely. Because you are your body. You are the product of the chemical reactions, the neurochemistry, and your hormonal basis. That is you. So yes, I mean, I, I put it this way. You can't be born in the wrong body because you are your body. Put it this way. What's the right body then? Where is the right body if you're born into the wrong body? But only you it's, are... It's a nonsense. Only you are citing biological fact of a certain definition of the body. I'm not. No, absolutely. I agree. But I'm saying what, on what basis could you be born into the wrong body? I've just told you the basis. You've categorized humans into no, you haven't. You've, you've bodily suggested. organs. And I've just said yes. to you that a large group of people don't fit into those categories. So, but, but in what sense were they born into the wrong body when they are the I'd, I I don't have that same physical definition of a body that you're citing when you talk about. Okay, so interesting. Life. Okay, so if we want to have this, if we want to have this conversation, I think it's really important we know what your definition of a body is, then, because I think that's really important. Well, my definition of a body is far more complex than physical organs. I think we've got a complicated relationship with our mental phenomena that biology can't wholeheartedly explain, and I think the terms men and women are a societal construct that we've come up with to pin two types of people together but we're now seeing that it's it's it's, it's problematic for some people and we need to help them out absolutely but the, again i have absolutely no problem with helping individuals who have deep distress at their physical sex that's absolutely okay and actually noticing a large number of individuals do have this is something that we should know in particular i think there's an element of social contagion i think there's an element of individuals in particular I would say that one thing I have noticed is with young women, 
in particular who are claiming or identifying to be men, what is interesting is that a large element of that is about escaping womanhood, escaping male desire, escaping male behaviour. Now, if you're wanting to talk about, obviously, um, there's a different, you know, you are, there's things you cannot fully explain. Uh, I agree with you, funnily enough, regarding neurology. I just simply, again, have a fact-based position as we can't understand that because we uh-huh. haven't really understood. Well, that's the point. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to admit that there are things that we do not know. I, what I don't do is that I don't offer an answer to the things we don't know because there's no point in doing that. I hope and have full faith that one day we will understand it to a greater degree because one of the best things that we can both admit is that we are incredibly ignorant people. And I say that with actual genuine meaning. We don't know everything that we we don't know, frankly. Uh, and actually, that's why, um, you know, the whole Donald Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns, known unknowns, is actually quite useful because there is an entire section of things we absolutely do not know that what we do not know. And we know things that we actually don't know that we do. But going back to more important things, specifically regarding the gender conversation that you were having, we have to examine individuals why there is a massive number of comorbidities now i'm talking serious is, levels of it, poor mental a, health this is platform for regular people robbie we need to speak in english here man. okay okay so in english a lot of people who identify with a differing gender also have serious mental health issues have serious levels of eating disorder prevalence of other serious mental health conditions and and that's also in prevalence in those who are presenting young that is and i, I mean very interestingly I, I have a friend of mine who's a detransitioner from california and um, drew and what's fascinating about what he said was that he presented to gender clinics in america and, and i've heard the same repeated multiple times about the uk in which he presented as an individual who had a serious eating disorder so already that's a form of body dis- body dysmorphia or dysphoria he had serious body dysphoria regarding puberty he had serious issues with mental health and depression and that was completely ignored we have to accept that this is a very vulnerable community who have serious issues often not just their differing their gender incongruous or their differing view of their sex and their differing view of how their sex and their body interact, that's absolutely fine. But what we do have to understand is that that, those are not the only issues often these individuals face. And it's something, I don't know if you looked at the report into the Tavistocks and the individuals presenting, a large number of individuals presenting were also children who had parents who feared that they were gay. Now, one father told one of the yeah, clinicians at the Tavistock. I don't want a son who minces. I want a daughter who runs. Now, this is where there's a very real concern about medicalization of homosexuality, particularly because, put it this way, no one's comfortable on the topic of a gay child. No one's comfortable with that topic. Firstly, are you imposing a sexuality on a child? That becomes very obviously a fraught subject. Secondly, Children who develop a gender incongruence, often those that are not clinically treated, grow up to be homosexual adults. Now, I think it's very worrying 
that you're not necessarily taking that into account as well. That's the second factor. But I, I, regarding your body and the body, I think we have a very different understanding. And I think that comes because I, I think you have more tolerance of spiritual and other um, positions, whereas I am, as you are well aware, both from our discussions at school, I am a new atheist born and bred. Um, I am that you know, I will always hold that position, and I'm afraid I, I don't hold any weight in the position that you can be born in the wrong body. Interestingly, what I would tell you though is Stonewall have ditched that position, as have mermaids, as have almost every other transgender organization. They have ditched that position because it came with so many problems of explaining, well, what is firstly the right body? But secondly, teaching someone that they are in the wrong body is actually a position of telling them not to accept their body. And it's telling them there's something wrong with their body, which is a dangerous position to tread. And I, I think you'll obviously be aware of why that's dangerous. Because if you tell someone, you shouldn't necessarily be comfortable with your body because your body is wrong. Well, why is their body wrong? What's wrong with their body? And that's something that I think is very dangerous, very dangerous, particularly with very young, vulnerable individuals. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the character that would be no one's telling them this. They're, they're deciding this on their own and through rights of bodily autonomy, they're making these decisions. I don't want to dwell on that too much. And I'd, I'd rather sort of come, <laughs> come to some common ground here, Robbie, and that we're a largely decent population. We we the, the, you know we do, we all we don't want to see violence against women. We we want to we want women in this country to feel safe and secure in these single sex spaces. And it's no coincidence that they're feeling threatened when you've got the Met Police institutionally sexist and misogynist uh, roaming our streets and enforcing those laws. What I want to ask you is, you're you're obviously a strong protector of keeping safeguards in place for women rather than making it drastically easier. Um, for people to self-identify, but in a way, ever than self-identified. So what safeguards would you keep in place? And would you could you modernise that process for them? Is there any way that you could see some wiggle room in that sense? I actually, I agree with you on one sense, which is that the current process to gain a GRC is, is an absurdity. And I'll tell you why it's an absurdity, because you have to sit before a panel that will probably never meet you. And actually, it's not even, you don't even sit before them, you apply. And you have to prove whether you're masculine or feminine enough to be considered the opposite sex. That's an absurdity. It is a complete absurdity. I'm afraid you won't like what my follow-up answer is, though. It's an absurdity, and therefore we should repeal the entire process and allow people to be whatever they want to be and allow people to be free of the chains of gender but not decry material reality, which means in my view, and my solution is that we must repeal the GRA. I do not think we need a Gender Recognition Act. I actually think what needs to happen is we need to move away from gender. One of the, one of the best things that I could tell you is that yes, we need to understand what women are. And I say that very meaningfully because if you do not understand what women are, then how can you protect them? How can you defend them? That's what Joanna Cherry has said repeatedly and constantly. If you put it this way, as a, as a function of categories, you'll know this from you'll know this from your philosophy studies. But if you're trying to have a category, you have to have definitions of what the characteristics of that category are. Otherwise, if you don't, there's no ability to police that category in any way. I think the problem here is that I do not think the solution to individuals identifying 
with another gender, let's just simplify it and use that term. I do not think the solution to that is to give them the sex-based rights of the opposite sex. I do not think that that is a proportionate right. I think it's seriously harmful. I think also as well, there is also a question here of, if you are doing such a thing, should individuals be forced to agree that the individual becomes a member of the opposite sex? And I don't think that's credible. I don't think forcing people to believe that is credible either. But I really do think at the end of the day, this, this discussion will come down to one thing. How willing are people to reject material reality? Which, as you'll know, for a lot of left-wing individuals has caused a massive problem because a lot of younger left-wing individuals don't necessarily have a greater deal of time for material reality or material-based discourse in particular. Um, there are much more kind of what I would call quasi-spiritual discussions happening in that sense. A lot of older Marxists, a lot of older socialists, a lot of older individuals believe in material base. There's a material basis, dialectical materialism. And they will sit there and go, we need to have a discussion based on facts and reality. I'm afraid unless you're having a discussion based on reality, and unless we have a common understanding of what we're discussing, that's why I also asked you about definitions, we're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and, that's and, and, yet, and yet 45 minutes later, we're still, we're still having a conversation. But this is this this is yeah. my, this is what this is this is where I came to blows with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk TV is that we couldn't we couldn't agree on that very start. I I said that her yeah. um, metaphysical definition of the human body is is outdated. It's widely discredited in in metaphysical studies for 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 decades now, and we couldn't agree on that first principle. And I think that's why we've come into such an interlock. Yeah. Um, but there, but there we go. We're we're running out of time, to be fair, Robbie. But thank you very much for for coming on the show today. And have you got any closing remarks for this kind kind of conversation? I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast, but for now. <laughs> oh yeah, abs absolutely. I just think it's I just think it's very interesting. What I would encourage individuals to do, firstly, is to consider what it is that they're actually discussing, because I actually don't think drag is anything necessarily to do with trans which is the first thing to say, drag is simply often male, often homosexual individuals dressing as other gender. So firstly, separate that from the trans discussion and, and evaluate the appropriateness of what you feel about that. I would say to other things, another thing to younger people, you don't have, often, you don't have kids. And that's not an insult. It's a differing perspective in which I think a lot of women involved in this discussion are very high sensitive about and I think rightly so, and vigilant about safeguarding. And I think younger people need to consider why are all of a sudden women from the 80s, 90s, 70s, and even 60s who have been lifelong feminists suddenly raising concerns about safeguarding? And I don't think the conclusion can be that they've suddenly all morphed into the Fourth Reich and are all accepting checks from US, the far right. The conclusion has to be there has to be some form of intellectual basis to this. I think what does need to happen, though, is there, do, there does need to be more discussions. The fact that we are actually having this discussion is not necessarily something that's common, because obviously you disagree with me. That's absolutely fine. But a lot of people are not willing to have a discussion with people on the other end of the fence. And that's going to cause a real problem, because at the end of the day, we're going to have to formulate laws and policy on this. And I, and I will say this as well. 
I don't think, to finish, I do not think the other side, or I would say your side of the argument, is faring well. I don't think it's faring well. I don't think momentum is on that side. I think it has switched dramatically and very quickly. If you do not talk about these things and if you do not have a dialogue, things risk getting out of control in terms of where things are going. And there risks being absolutely no form of discourse or dialogue. And no debate was a strategy that was tried to be implemented by Stonewall. It should never be implemented again because it fundamentally fails everyone involved. Well, I'm going to finish on a concluding remark of myself <laughs> is that I regret, I, I don't I don't regret, I reject the term fence and sides and wars and everything that the media is making this out to me because that is what is adding fuel to the fire for these people and i'm sure you'll listen to the the first half of this uh podcast uh, Ron, oh, yeah. where, I, where i spoke to a member of the trans community and the, these people they are genuinely scared and i think using that language is is dangerous and i'm gonna leave it on that note because i can feel you going on another rant and i didn't <laughs> want to hear it <laughs> thank you <Robbie. laughs> and i won't no worries <laughs> cheers that was uh, a spirited conversation with political commentator robbie travers um, the last and certainly not least um, guest on this recording today, we hope it's um, been informative for you already, um, but we want to speak to Ellie Gomersall, uh, who is a, a columnist at The National, um, who was keen on speaking to us today, um, knowing that we were recording on this issue. Um, so let's hear what uh, Ellie had to say on these matters. So Ellie, we now know that 100 people uh, turned up for this event uh, on Saturday. Is this cause to be optimistic about uh, the inclusion of 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 the LGBTQ plus uh, community, despite the concerns that have been shared by political commentators uh, uh, last week? I think it's a sign of resilience. Um, I think it's a sign of of you know when they try to you know they being you know the the the, the folk who are who are you know whipping up. Um, and they know that they're whipping up, you know, this sort of hatred and 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 really dangerous rhetoric. Um, and it's all part of this whole sort of you know culture wars, um, nonsense approach that 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 you know the conservatives in particular seem to be going down. Um, and I think that that when you then see um, you know, over a hundred people from the community, then 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 saying actually no, we reject that attack, we reject. Um, that hatred, um, I think that's a sign of resilience, and I think that's a sign of of the fact that you know we are we're not just going to take that sort of thing lying down. Um, I think it's it's one of those um, anyways, it, it's a it's one of those things where where you know when sometimes when when things like this are under attack, when we're feeling like there's there's all of this. Um, you know, absolute nonsense constantly coming at us, and it can be really, really exhausting. Um, and I'm sure that that some of those people, probably many of those people, um, who who went, uh, are probably allies and people who maybe heard about the backlash and went along to show that that they are supportive and to and to to you know they went specifically to explicitly reject um those those dangerous that dangerous rhetoric that's being spread around I mean I think that is really powerful um because we know that you know the the 
the general public, the general population um, broadly do support LGBT plus rights. There's very strong support even for things that now are being deemed controversial uh, in the media. But but things like gender recognition reform was something that had had really broad public support um, actually just a, a couple of years ago. And of course, there's been all of this misinformation and nonsense that's been spread in the media and it's damaging rhetoric. Um, and, you know, look, that has had a hit on um, some some levels of support for uh, LGBT plus rights, but it's not it's not destroyed that completely. There's still a huge amount of support out there. And actually, when people start actually thinking about the issues that, 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 that we're facing, they do then tend to, to 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 move towards support. I mean, we know that, that you know there's a huge amount of data that shows that actually one of the the, the most significant things that can make someone be supportive of trans rights is if they know a trans person, right? And and so when people actually start sort of switching on and start actually thinking about these sort of conversations and, and these issues, they do become supportive. Um, but of course, when you've got a media and you've got mainstream media that is constantly firing out um, attack lines and, and you know, uh, party of government, of course, in Westminster and the Tories. And, and, and I think it'd be fair to say that the Labour are not much better um, who are, are really you know, spreading and contributing to these dangerous narratives. Then people will naturally start to, to just accept them as truth. Um, so I think the fact that actually people are hearing this this hateful dialogue, but then are starting to question it and think actually why why is this? Uh, why are they saying that this is an issue? Why are we being told that that you know supporting LGBT plus rights or having you know a drag performer or teaching kids about you know, in, you know through inclusive education? Then when people actually start thinking about about those issues. They, they become supportive again and I think that is that is really heartening. So you, you talked a fair bit there about a sort of deliberate attempt to stoke up hate um, and you, you identified the Conservatives a couple of times in particular. Um, we know that this conversation has, has massively blown up since the Scottish Government attempted to uh, well, well, pass through legislation to make it easier for the trans community to, to gain that gender recognition certificate um, and then the UK Government intervened to say look this is going to um, affect the Equality Act, at least that's why they said they were intervening, and it was put to bed. Um, like, why? Why are we still talking about this? Like, why? Why is there still so much hate and and conversation and, and division about it? Do you think? I, mean, I think one of the reasons is because um, the the Tory Party is currently drowning um, in you know com uh, you know crisis and and sleaze and uh, you know and and got your, your party gate and you know just in, in just the past sort of few days we've seen uh you know these mps and including boris johnson you know resigning and the, the tory party is an absolute crisis and we know you look throughout history every time the tory party is in crisis they pick something as a distraction something that they can they can get people motivated behind um and and, and very often it's targeting a minority group because it's it's easy and you know what they're good at it they are good at it the the, the conservatives are really good at rallying people around some common enemy that they've just made up 
Um, and, and like I say, nine times out of ten, that, that, that sort of common enemy that they, they try and make up is some sort of minority, whether it's refugees, whether it's the, the you know, uh, gypsy Roman traveling community, whether it's trans people. Um, and, and you know, those are some of the groups that they, they have decided to, to target uh, at the moment. You see it in America um, as well. Um, you know, the Republican Party, again, it's, it's really good for them at whipping up support um by by getting everyone to 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 you know unite against um some some enemy and um, you know you're seeing this at, at the moment with uh, Ron DeSantis in in um in Florida in particular um and like I say it's it, it's working it works um you know Ron DeSantis is hugely uh popular last year in the the um the election for for governor in Florida um so it I, I think that's one of the reasons for it um it's one of those things where you know it's about maintaining the status quo um i think that's a big element as well it's it's one of those um uh, trans people are not new there's no the trans people have existed forever and there's evidence of that throughout history but now we're actually starting to understand a little bit more about what it means to be trans and that's starting to come through um you know into certain you know people's lives who, who people who aren't trans you know it's, it's something that's really important that people understand other people's life perspectives and that's something that conservatives have always rallied against this you know they, they talk about this idea and this is this is one of the really scary things actually i think about some of the, the comments recently made by you know douglas ross and, and other members of the, the, the conservative party is this idea around traditional family values and that has so long been used as uh, a dog whistle for anything you know homophobic transphobic racist as well you know it's the same sort of rhetoric actually was used um around things like segregation uh you know in in, in the states and, and and um around you know there's there's so much commonality between uh racism and, and homophobia and transphobia and misogyny um and you know it's 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 something that we've faced year after year after year it's, it's, this isn't again these aren't new concepts but they are they are starting to to, to win people over and like I said there's this huge misinformation campaign that we've seen in the, the media particularly around pieces of legislation like the gender recognition reform um bill um and the problem is is that it's not being challenged it's not being called out by mainstream media people can go on to these programs and just say things that are just blatantly and, and provably not true um, and there's no real, I mean, you know, things like the Westminster blocking the the gender recognition bill with the, the set use of the Section 35 at order. I, I've really not seen that many people actually talking, like, on, again, on mainstream media, actually challenging that from happening. Because they say, as, as you said earlier, they, they say the reason they did that was because it interferes with the Equality Act. Now, there is actually a different process for if the Scottish uh, Parliament passes legislation that um, that they're not allowed to, you know, that, that, that that's, that's clearly in, you know, seeps into reserved matters. So Section 33 order is something that, so for instance, people might remember the um, big, um, there was the, the, the court case um, around the um, incorporation of the United Nations uh, Convention on the Rights of the Child. That was 
a, a piece of legislation that was passed by the Scottish Parliament. And um, Westminster said, actually, no, you can't do that. That's reserved. But what they did was they used a Section 33 order to divert that to the Supreme Court for the Supreme Court to rule on whether or not that was actually legal for the Scottish Parliament to pass. With the gender bill, they didn't do that. They just used a Section 35, which just gives them an outright veto. And I've not really not seen anyone actually highlight or, or, or challenge Alistair Jack or any of the Conservatives on, well, if you're saying that this interferes with reserved matters, why didn't you go down the process for when that happens? Why did you just use the outright veto uh, power? And again, the fact that, that no one is asking these questions, um, it's absolutely, I mean, I'd say it's bizarre, I'd say it's shocking, but the thing is, is that, that again, the mainstream media in the UK has always existed to, to hold um, up you know the the um the status quo and the the you know the huge inequality and things like that, that we have in the UK. So it's not surprising, but it is incredibly disappointing. Sure, and and I, I totally agree that the media needs to take far more responsibility uh, on this issue in particular because it's clearly precarious. It's clearly stoking up hatred between uh, people that are largely decent and, and want want decent things for a largely uh, good uh, population. Um. But one thing that does strike me is that the that what you're talking about here isn't exclusive to conservatives. For example, one of the biggest advocates, um, uh, one of the biggest challengers to that 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 self ID bill was Joanna Cherry of the SNP, for example. And I, I you know, part of me sympathises uh, with women that do feel scared because you've got a situation where we have a country where institutionalised misogyny and sexism is present. Um, we know from our, our previous guest, Alice um, Jackson, who uh, co-founded Strutsafe, you're just as likely to be raped from a police officer as you are from a member of the general public, which is a mental statistic. And you've got, you know, police officers like Dale, uh, Dave Carrick roaming the streets, you know, and, and, and it's no wonder that women don't feel safe. And as, as a woman yourself, do you, do you, do you empathise with that line of view and uh, but but feel just disheartened at the way the conversations went or is it is it something about their ideology that's particularly you know d distressing for you oh i mean i completely empathize and actually you know i think this is really important too is that i think that the vast majority of people who are opposed to things like the gender recognition reform bill for instance i don't think they're transphobic i think that they've they've heard transphobic narratives and they've not questioned them, and they've accepted them as facts, and they've, in some cases, repeated them. But I don't think that they they are malicious. I don't think that, that in, in many cases, I think what's often happened is that people have heard misinformation. They've heard misinformation that has gone unchallenged by the media platforms that, that, that are platforming that misinformation. They've heard things, uh, you know, conversations around things like single sex spaces and the idea that you know this sort of legislation puts them at risk and all of that and you know what i'd be scared if i if i was hearing all of that because it's it's scary stuff that they're they're saying the problem is is that it's not true the problem is is that things like the gender recognition reform bill has nothing to do with single sex spaces has nothing to do you know no one checks your birth certificate before you go to a toilet in, in you know a public toilet for instance, it would be absolutely bizarre if they did. Well, you couldn't police that anyway. That that would be impossible, wouldn't it? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and 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 actually, when we see you know the increasing levels of you new know, sort of almost you new know, 
people who are trying to police that, you know, people who uh, go into the toilet and they think that they've spotted someone who's trans and so they they call them out. And actually there's a huge, there's been a huge number of instances where um, often often lesbians, um, you know, women who are not necessarily trans um, who, um, you know, might not necessarily present themselves how you might necessarily stereotypically imagine uh, a woman to present. Um, and are facing huge amounts of, of homophobia. And actually they're facing trans, even though they're not trans, they're facing transphobia um, because of the way that's, that's gone about. So it's hugely dangerous. Um, but the thing is that I think a lot of people will just hear those sort of narratives and hear that rhetoric and they'll accept it and they'll accept the fear because it's much more, it's much easier to feel that emotion of fear and to be driven by that than it is to actually think through all of, the different implications of, of and actually you know, properly think through well well hang on a minute why would someone you know pretend to be trans to act and what what stops them from doing that anyway all of those sort of questions once you start asking yourself those questions then then all of a sudden things don't make quite as much sense from from, from that side but the thing is is that most people like it for you know people like myself who might be more involved in sort of politics and activism and things like that you know might actually you know, sort of pay more attention to the details of a piece of legislation most that's not normal that's not what normal people do normal members of the public don't read and scrutinize pieces of legislation and look at the minute detail they just listen to what the trusted people on the tv are telling them or what the people in the newspapers are telling them and that's normal and that's fine um, because it would be a pretty boring world if every single person read every bit of legislation that was going through our parliaments. Um, but the challenge is, is that means that people will hear and accept misinformation as truth. And I, gen I genuinely don't believe that the vast majority of those people who do say that they're opposed to these reforms are transphobic. They've just heard transphobic narratives and they've not thought them through. They've just accepted them. Um, I do, however, think that that is also from, from some people who should know better, a conceited transphobic campaign to whip up that misinformation, to create that misinformation and to spread it. Um, and a lot of that is about, you know, it's, it's a power thing. And a lot of it is, is people who, um, you know, should are in positions of power and should be taking more responsibility. Um, there are some people who are just opposed to it because they just don't believe that trans people exist. And I think that is the bottom line for a lot of it. They just they just don't have the empathy to be able to put themselves in a trans person's shoes and to, to believe that, that the experience that we're going through is real. Um, I think that's the case in a, a lot of the more prominent anti-trans activists because a lot of these are very, very smart, they're very intelligent people i don't think that they've been brought in by the misinformation i think a lot of them are the people who are whipping up the misinformation they just don't have they don't have the empathy to, to to consider what it might mean to be trans and 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 what that might mean in terms of your needs um and uh, and then i think that that even if that is the case, even if there are those people who who maybe don't have that empathy who just don't believe that being trans is a real thing then the way that they then go about presenting that view, I think in many cases is deeply, deeply irresponsible because even if you don't believe that it's a real thing, a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of the narratives that are being spread um, on and, and the media, on social media, et cetera, 
put people's lives at risk. I mean, I, I, and, and that sounds like hyperbole, but it's really not because when you look at just, for instance, recently, I mean, in terms of the data, the rate of, of transphobic hate crime that has, has absolutely skyrocketed um, over the past few years, there's clear correlation between the rise in hate crimes and the rise in these now these really dangerous narratives. Um, but when you also then look at a, a lot of the narratives which would would prevent trans people from being able to live in public, I mean, really, genuinely, you know, there are all these conversations around, you know, who can use, um, you know, single sex spaces or you know, bathrooms or changing rooms or, or you know. The public spaces. If you are going out and about for the day, you're going out, out, you know, maybe on a day trip or or for work or whatever. You're out for eight or nine hours. So you're going to need to use the loo at some point during that time. If uh, a lot of these things that people are advocating for, the narratives that they're they're, they're planting in people's minds, um, that would prevent that, would prevent people like me from being able to live in public, um, because. It would mean you have a situation where if you went into it, you'd be probably faced with with, with violence there, um, and you wouldn't be able to to um, you know to 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 go out in public and to 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 exist, um, and and that that is and again this sounds like hyperbole, but when you actually look at steps and you look at examples throughout history, that's one of the first stages of genocide, uh, and like I said, that sounds like a really strong word. Actually, when you look throughout history at how how um you know these, these hate campaigns against minority groups play out and preventing people from being able to exist in public, that is one of the first stages of genocide. And like I say, it kills people. Um, and so and so there's the, even that element where I accept that there will be some people who who just are completely opposed to the, the idea of, of trans people. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that, 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 that those are often really hateful views that they have. And it's, like I said, I think it often comes from that lack of, of empathy or that lack of understanding. But then even if they hold those views, to be so deeply irresponsible with the way that they then portray those views and to do so in a way that whips up this hatred and stirs up violence, and 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 you know moves towards those first stages of genocide. Um, again, it, it's it's just so deeply, deeply responsible. And I think those are the people that we need to really strongly condemn. Um, you know, in the strongest, strongest possible terms, because those are very different to the people who have just listened to things on the radio or on the telly or read things in the newspaper and have picked them up and maybe have, have repeated them, but but haven't really fully understood the implications of it. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're talking about real life problems and, and hatred. And we, we just have to listen to the experiences of Amber earlier on the recording to, to, to know that it's real. We're not talking in sort of fictional fantasy lands where we're, you know, debating over nothing. This is this is real people. This is real scenarios. And I think what we have now is uh, we have a crisis of definition. People are thrown into question, right? Well, what does it mean? to be something um what 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 does it mean to be a woman or a man and i think what the trouble i had with uh, with robbie um earlier as we we were discussing we couldn't agree on uh, what it means to be um a a, a person a, a a gender a sex because he was confined to do two very specific groups of bodily organs 
which I was trying to explain that don't account for 100% of the population. So how can we expect to uh, cater to the small minority of people if we can't agree that they have some sort of definition within what we're talking about here? But it's fair to say that we've now found ourselves um, um, in a scenario where people have different metaphysical views of the human body. Some people want to say, well, look, you know, I, I just think it's physical. I just think it's a certain amount of uh, bodily organs or chromosomes, and that's just it. There's nothing else to it. And they deny the complexity we have with our, you know, the relationship we have with our mental phenomena, the uh, the complications of some biological genes like SRI or FOXL2. And, you know, we, we, have, a, we, have, a, we have a clash of, of definitions here, and I think that this is where it's becoming really difficult. Um, are you at the point now where you can accept that other people will have a different metaphysical view of the human body, but would also like to come to sort some sort of compromise, um, acknowledging that my view is just as valid as your view, and if so, what would a compromise look like at this stage in 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 the most in the most ideal world possible now? Because we're really looking for a solution now. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> There's, there's a couple of elements to this. I mean, first of all, in terms of sort of a compliment, I think it's really important when we're talking about like facts and like objective, scientific, evidenced facts. Um, and it's really difficult to compromise on, on facts because anything anything other than accepting fact as fact is by definition untrue. Um, so where do you come from that? And in terms of you know, things like uh, definitions of, of, of sex and, and I think it's important for us to remember that 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 even let's pretend trans people don't exist. Let's take trans people out of the question. There is a huge amount of variance between men and women. There's a huge amount of different different things, different characteristics that might make someone a man or a woman. It's not as simple as things like genitals or DNA, because sometimes those are conflicting, even in people who aren't trans. Um, and, and I think it's also really important for us to remember that just because the vast majority of people might fit into two boxes, the fact that it's a really small minority of the population that maybe don't necessarily you know, fit exactly what you would expect of those two boxes or, or, or don't fit either of those boxes at all, that doesn't mean that they don't exist. And I, I saw online a really good way of explaining this, which I thought was, was great, um, which is that it's a really, really tiny percentage. Overall, if you think of the entire population of the world, it's a really tiny percentage of the world who are Irish, right? Like it's a really, really small, like it's less than you know, zero point, I don't remember the exact number, it's like it's less than you know, 0.1% of the entire world's population is Irish. That doesn't mean that Irish people don't exist. That doesn't mean that, that Irish people, are, you know, that they're, they're, the fact that they're Irish is not valid. It, it it just means that they're a really small minority of the world's population. You know, you could, it, you know, it, it, it's a really, to, to, to suggest that just because the vast majority of people fit into a different box, like not Irish, <laughs> that the Irish people don't even know how close they do. Um, so it's important for us to, to look at, at it really objectively and, and factually. And like I say, often, people's you know, DNA or chromosomes or whatever doesn't necessarily match with this part of their body or that part of their body. That's perfectly normal. That is really normal. And it's normal to be Irish. It's normal to be trans. It's normal to be intersex. It's normal to, to not be trans. Um, all of those things are normal human things, and they're all just as valid as 
as any of the others. And I think the other thing when it comes to this whole like, and this is you know, is this is this really um you know, is 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 a it's a it's a transphobic dog whistle, right? This the whole question of what is a woman. Every single politician seems to be asked it every time they go on to you know, GB News, Talk TV, whatever, they get asked this question, what is a woman? Why does it matter? Like, 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 and 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 I appreciate people might have an emotional response to that because they they might have you know they it might be something that's a really core part of like their identity, but that's for their identity. So for them, if they feel confident and they know that they are a woman and and that's who they are, then great, fine. But when you actually zoom out and you look at this on the sort of on the bigger picture, why why does it matter? This huge like. Because, because, like I said, there will always be people who, you know, whether they're trans or not trans, who are women, but who maybe don't necessarily tick all of the boxes you'd expect them to. Why, why stop them from having that part of their identity? What difference does that make to you? And the reality is that it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference and this whole question it, it, it just like you know, the, the the response to it is that it just doesn't actually matter you know and and and, and there's everything is a spectrum in life you know whether you know you can ask, you ask people what color their eyes are and most people can say you know i have brown eyes or green eyes or blue eyes whatever but for a lot of people, their eyes are sort of bluey green, or they're sort of like a brownie green, or or, or whatever. You know, they 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 fit into this spectrum. We, we, as humans, we love. You know, it's an evolutionary thing that humans love putting things into neat little boxes. We love to do it. It's just like how our brains are wired. We like nice neat boxes, nice neat labels, so we can just attach to things, and then it's all lovely and neat, and we can take the box and move on. But that's not how the world works. It's just not how the world works. It's just not what reality is. Um, and I think that the sooner we accept that as a species, um, the, the quicker we can we can get on and uh, get on with our lives and 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 you know and continue moving forwards. Because otherwise, we're we're just running around in circles, um, and and the science just doesn't match up. Thanks so much uh, for joining us today, uh, Ellie, and just to to give some closing remarks. What would you say to someone that doesn't really fully understand this conversation? What message would you like to give the, with these people, which I'm sure many of the people listening to this podcast are looking for some understanding, for some clarity of what people on Twitter or in the political sphere are actually talking about? What what message would you give them? I'd say we're all human here. And actually, sometimes as humans, we make mistakes. Sometimes we're wrong about things. Um, but the key thing is that we're all human. And when it comes to things like trans rights, the thing that I really want people to understand is that I think sometimes when we talk about trans people, we talk about trans rights. It's like we're talking about that like as a concept, as an idea. I'm more than just a concept or an idea. I am a human being. I wake up every morning, I brush my teeth, I have a shower, I go to work. You know, that's that's my day-to-day -day life. That's what I want to just get on and do. I don't want to be constantly having to defend what it means to be trans or, or defend my right to exist in public. I just want to live a normal life where I can get up in the morning, brush my teeth, have breakfast and, and, and live. Um, and that really is all we're asking here. So I, I think that's, that's, that's what it all comes down to is the fact that we are we're just normal. We're just normal human being. 
you know, we're normal people who just want to go about living our lives. And yeah, we might be slightly different to you in the same way as someone might have a different hair colour to you or a different eye colour. You know, we have different features, different traits. And the fact that I'm trans means that I might be slightly different to someone who's not trans. And that might be a different life experience that I have that they, and they might also have different life experiences that I don't have. But the thing that, that we have in common is that we're humans who just want to go about our day-to-day lives. Um, and, and I think it's really important we remember that whenever we're having this conversation.